Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. In this episode, we're diving deep into the storied past of the Denver Broncos franchise, from the days of the Orange Crush to the Elway era and beyond, into some Super Bowl triumphs. We have a guest coming on that knows much about the Denver Broncos and their history, and he's coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal to positive football history. We have a guest coming on that is a Denver Broncos historian. He's a podcaster for the Orange and Blue, and he has a, quite a resume that's everything Denver Broncos. His name is Thomas Hall. Thomas, welcome to the Pig Pen. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, I I like to think I'm a historian, but you know, there's. <laughs> There's some things I don't know, but I, I love to to talk Denver Broncos. I love to talk Denver Broncos history. And uh, so thank you for having me on here. Uh, you know, it's really easy to tell if you're a historian or not. How how long have you followed the Denver Broncos? I, yeah, I started watching them right about the turn of uh, when 1980s came around. So I remember, yeah, I was still fairly young, but I remember, I remember watching football and starting to like the Broncos right around when Elway uh, became a Bronco. So just, just before that, I started really liking them. So it's been a while. It's been a few years. Now, if you can remember when Kubiak was still wearing a helmet, then that means <laughs> you're do. a Denver Broncos fan. You're a historian of the Denver Broncos. That's <laughs> that's a long time ago. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. I remember, I remember Kubiak playing a few games very vividly, including the 91 uh, champion AFC championship game. They lost to the bills. Uh, he came in, after Elway got hurt. So I remember a Kubiak wearing a helmet for sure. Uh, do you remember Kubiak uh, back up? I believe he backed up Craig Morton too. And uh, Morton. No, actually uh, Kubiak was drafted the same year Elway was. So in 83. Oh, was he? Fact, okay. They were, yeah. They were planning on Kubiak maybe being the uh, starter for a while until they made the trade that brought Elway to the Broncos. Okay. Yeah, he was kind of penciled in almost, but that uh, that changed rapidly when the trade was made to bring Elway to the Broncos. We, we covered a little bit of it, but why don't you you take us through, you know, what how it transpired that you became a Denver Broncos fan and, you know, you know some of these early memories that you shared already, but maybe you have some other ones and uh, you know what made you uh, like a super fan to be on multiple podcasts. Yeah. You, you know, you have uh, legends a mile high uh, over your shoulder there as a logo, you know, yeah. so 
uh, and everything has mile high in it for your podcast and uh, let us know what your podcasts are too. Sure. Yeah. So you know, I was doing three podcasts. So legends of mile high is the one that I started uh, very first. And that's, that does bring in a lot of history, but I also do one on Wednesday night with Luke Patterson. It's called mile high insiders. And then I, I did have one called orange and blue view with Ron white, but I had to step back from that. Uh, I, like I told you earlier, I'm, I'm trying to get a business going here uh, for NFL stats, NFL analytics, uh, and I'll, you know, maybe someday I'll talk a little bit more. It's still in the, in the works, but yeah, I started being the, a fan of the Denver Broncos early on. Right. Um, you know, like I said, in the early eighties, I, I lived in and grew up in Oregon and back then it was the Broncos, uh, the 49ers or the Seahawks were on television because the Raiders were in LA at the time. So I, I started watching the Broncos had family from Colorado and, uh, I got into it. And then, and then when the drive happened, it, pretty much solidified my fandom. Once I, once I saw that it, it still kind of gives me goosebumps when I see the replays of it. Cause I remember watching it on my grandparents, like snowy television back when it wasn't HD, it was a, it barely reception came in. And uh, after that, I was like, that's it. That's this is definitely the team for me. I'm, um, I'm a diehard from here on out. So unfortunately they've not had a great record. It's kind of gotten me down over the last several years, but uh, yeah, it was a it was a very nice run once I started my fandom to uh, where we're at today. Well, well, you you're lucky, just like uh, the fan base that I'm a fan of. You know, you got to see your team in multiple Super Bowls. Yeah. Probably uh, were spoiled, and you know, most uh, franchises uh, are jealous of how many Super Bowls. Even I mean, even if you lose a Super Bowl, at least you get there. And it's it's like you kissed the girl and lost her. You know, it's not, yeah. uh, but never, <laughs> but better than never to be loved at all. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, that, that's always a, a cool thing. So, and you've definitely had multiple generations of Super Bowls uh, appearances, uh, yep. and you know some really good quarterbacks as well. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I've I've seen all of them, but one really. I mean, I, I if if I watched the '77 Cowboys Broncos uh, Super Bowl, I don't remember it. I was still pretty young then. But uh, yeah, I've seen all the other Super Bowls. Been to one, unfortunately. Watched the. Uh, Super Bowl 48 debacle live, which was, was terrible, but uh, yeah, I've been, you know, I've seen, I've seen the ups and the downs and man, that the, their first Super Bowl victory was, uh, was huge. Really. It was, uh, it was kind of that uh, moment where everything kind of was okay with the world after I watching so many of the losses and, and some of them very embarrassing losses too. So uh, to get that win in uh, you know, that win and then back to back, it was, it was pretty sweet for Broncos fans for sure. Yeah, I'll, and I'll I bet. actually got to, I, it's funny because I actually, I've been a fan for a long time and I started writing uh, about them uh, quite a while ago for a, a place called iSports Web. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of them. I wrote for them. Then I had my own kind of thing going for a while. And then Mile High Huddle, uh, Chad Jensen asked me to write for him. So I've been writing for Mile High Huddle for six years now. So it's it's been it's been fun to take what my, you know, whatever fandom I have or whatever knowledge I have and, and put it on paper instead of just, you know, you know, talking to myself or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't got to that point yet. I still talk to myself <laughs> quite a bit in the basement. So it's a quite, quite a, a nice thing to have uh, somebody to talk to like yourself uh, this evening, but uh, maybe you can sort of take us back to the beginning. Where, where did the Denver Broncos sprout up from, you know? Yeah. What's their story? Well, they they started out in 1960, and and if I remember correctly, they they wanted to 
joined the NFL or they, there was a push for another team and they ended up joining the AFL back in 1960, but you know, they, they weren't very good. Right. So it was rough going at the very start when there was only a, maybe a handful of really kind of good players back then. And they, they almost folded up shop. They almost moved to Birmingham, Alabama at one point. So from 1960 until around 19, I would say 75, 76, they, you know, 74, they weren't very good, right? So they they, they actually didn't have a winning season until uh, 1973 was their first winning season. And they went through a few coaches. And the problem really was they couldn't get a foothold because they they would draft a first-round player and that first-round player would go play in the NFL. So they didn't get like a first-round you know, superstar until Floyd Little in 1967. So they they really struggled to have a foothold and they they actually when they first started they they got their jerseys and socks from uh I, I think a college team and it was like god awful brown and yellow with yellow brown and yellow striped socks and after they uh, after they were able to get their their uniforms and kind of have their color base that they have today the orange and blue they they had a big bonfire to burn those socks uh back in the uh early sixties to commemorate getting rid of them. But yeah, it was a pretty tough go and they almost didn't make it into the NFL too, during the merger uh, back when they merged because the NFL had a, a size limit uh, lim- or size ma- uh, minimum for their stadiums it had to hold 50,000 people. And they played it, played it in bear stadium is what it was called, which eventually came, became mile high stadium, but didn't have enough seating. They had to actually add on, uh, to that stadium in order to even join the NFL. So it was, uh, it took a while for them to get a foothold for sure, but they, they finally did. They finally did became part of the NFL had a, in that bear stadium. When they expanded, it became mile high stadium. And, uh, the history of mile high stadium, uh, is always, uh, I've always remembered the mile high magic and it's never been the same since they, they tore down old, the old mile high stadium, but it was, there was magic there. I, I have no doubt, man, watching some of those games, uh, and things happening on the field that you just you know, like couldn't believe. In fact, I vividly remember watching them play the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings receiver wide open, headed to the end zone, sure touchdown trips over nothing and falls, and the Broncos end up winning that game. So it's it was a strange thing to watch. But yeah, they they had a rough go to begin with. Um, I would say that their early stars probably Goose Gonsolin was a safety uh led was the leader of interceptions uh for the AFL when he left went to the, played for the 49ers one year that was finally broken um and then i would say uh the first guy that ever caught 100 catches in a season Lionel Taylor um he was probably another star uh Eldon Dannenhauer who was an offensive tackle maybe could be considered one of the stars back then and then and then their quarterback for the first couple of years you could consider him him a bit of a star first guy to pass for 3000 yards um Frank Trapuca but other than that there was it was just a ragtag crew of of uh players and they just couldn't figure out a way to win I wasn't in, like I said it wasn't until 75 uh, 1973 that they had their first winning season and i credit that a lot to um charlie johnson charlie johnson was a quarterback that came in uh and kind of taught them how to win and got them over the hump there was a few other things that happened that moved the needle they got floyd little you know they started getting their first round draft choices to sign with the team because of the merger and things like that but uh charlie johnson got him over the hump and that that was that from then on it's been nothing but up until 
obviously uh, the last almost a decade since 20 uh, since 2015 in their last Super Bowl. Yeah, I, my earliest memory, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you probably, because I can remember the Orange Crush season and, you know, sort of my uh, maturation of watching NFL. I was about six years old when the Immaculate Reception happened. And in my house, that was, you know, that was like the Red Sea parted, you know, and it, and it <laughs> yeah. started, ignited uh, the Steeler franchise. But I can remember the, the rise that whole season and the orange crush, uh, you know, drink was becoming so popular because that defense was using it. Lyle Alzado, I can just remember that was the first time I've ever heard his name, you know, call before. And he, you could just see he was, he looked like an, a very angry man out playing. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and I think they, they ended up playing in a playoff game against the Steelers, who were the Super Bowl champions, I think, defending Super Bowl champions. And, uh, you know, Denver ended up beating them to make it to that first Super Bowl that, uh, you didn't get a chance to to remember to, to see, but right. you probably didn't want to see that one either. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was rough. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that was that was an amazing defense. I mean, it's one of the best defenses of all time, really. Uh, they had the, they had a rowdy bunch of uh, defensive players. It's nice to see that Randy Gratishar is finally going to go into the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, I mean, unless some weird thing happens and they don't, you know vote all vote him in but he should get in it's it it's about time someone's represented from that super bowl it was a great defense it was a it was a really solid team and they they got by the steelers and they also got by the raiders who had kind of been their nemesis all the way up until until then and um you know the defense was kind of being built uh for a few years before that a lot of those players like billy thompson and and, and tom jackson they were kind of building these uh players up but it really was Craig Morton uh, that kind of got them over the hump at the quarterback. He came in, had been at Dallas, had played plenty of soup, uh, been to plenty of playoff games, uh, spent a couple of years with the Giants and then came over. And that kind of got there, got them over the hump to get into the playoffs, get into the Super Bowl. And then he kind of folded in the Super Bowl. You know, the eight, eight uh, turnovers is pretty hard for any defense to overcome, no matter how good they are, but that was an incredible defense. And a lot of the players that were on that team, they, uh, they should get a little bit more recognition. Uh, not necessarily all of them should be in the hall of fame, but there should be at least two or three that, you know, get recognition for the hall of fame because of how good it was. Yeah. It was amazing. If you look back, you know, at those mid to late seventies, you know, really the NFL was dominated by three teams, you know, the Cowboys who Denver lost to, but the the Raiders and the Steelers and those teams, Teams were dominating Super Bowl wins and uh, you know dominating the league. You know everybody they they played against. So for the the Broncos to rise up sort of out of nowhere, really, because I, I don't really remember talking about the Denver Broncos till till that yeah. year. And you know they were they were a very good team, like you said, and deserved everything they they got in playing in the Super Bowl. So yeah, they had not been to the playoffs until that season either. So that they had a few winning seasons, but they had not been to the playoffs. So that was their first uh, you. For a for a into the playoffs and ended up in the Super Bowl and man it, it I think if they had won that that defense would have been talked about a little bit uh, more and we'd probably see a couple more guys from that defense into the Hall of Fame unfortunately they lost and it really wasn't like I said it was I wasn't really the defense's fault like I said they turned it over eight times and that's uh, they ended up benching Craig Morton in that game to uh, you know try and uh, quell that uh, that turnover onslaught so to speak but it really didn't help and by then it was it was kind of too late so but it was a great team i mean gratishar louis wright 
uh, a cornerback that people don't talk about much anymore, the original shutdown corner, uh, you know, that you think about shutdown corners, you think about Char, uh, Champ Bailey, you think about Daryl Rivas. Well, he was doing that back in the 70s and early 80s before anyone else was. And you listen to even like Dan Fouts talk about him and they, he, he admitted to the teams would not throw to that side of the field because how good he was. And, you know, there was, there was a ton of great players, Billy Thompson, Tom Jackson, who we all, most people recognize from his, uh, you know, his professional and, you know, career as a, a media person, but he was an incredible linebacker. One of the best kind of, uh, past defense linebackers back then. So yeah, it was loaded with some great players for sure. Yeah, but probably uh, Jackson's biggest accomplishment is uh, putting up and being straight man for Chris Berman for all those years on <laughs> yeah. with all those. I love oops, listening to him. Oh yeah. Yeah. Th I mean, those, those two were a great team. I loved watching their, their program every Sunday night sure. uh, during the season. Yeah. So that was great. Now, you know, a few years after that Super Bowl, though, there was a pretty momentous uh, occasion for, for Denver Broncos. <laughs> and uh, why don't you yeah. tell us sort of the, the whole Elway saga. Yeah, it, it's interesting. In fact, I have a, I, I actually am on Legends of My Life. I tell the kind of the story of, and I, I talk about how if you are a Broncos fan, you got to have a, a little bit of a small place in your heart for the New York Yankees. Even if you don't like them, you, if you're a Broncos fan, you got to, uh, you got to like them a little bit because of this. But yeah, it, it was, it was one of those things that were like the first time you know, when a player just said, I'm not going to play for the, the team that drafts me because I don't want to play for the Indianapolis Colts. And, and it was it, it wasn't that he didn't uh, it it wasn't necessarily that he didn't want to go to Indianapolis or anything he didn't want to play for the coach Frank Cush um, you know his John Elway's father Jack Elway he he'd been involved in football for a long time he he knew Frank Cush he knew that he wouldn't get the best out of John Elway and so they made that decision based on what was best for John Elway not going to play for Frank Frank Cush and you know that was the big motivation behind him not. Uh, wanting to be drafted by them and they made it public too they it was it was well established that john elway was not going to play for the colts and uh the funny thing was is the colts didn't believe him or or decided to draft him anyway and and uh the the main key that kept the that you know called their bluff so to speak was uh, George Steinbrenner actually offered John Elway a contract a, and a sizable one to play baseball because uh, he'd already been in the minor leagues for the Yankees. And uh, he gave it wasn't a huge amount of money in today's dollars, but back then like, it was over $200,000 to play. That was enough to say, yeah, I'm I'm going to go play baseball. I'm not going to I'm not going to be a quarterback. I'm going to go play baseball. Kind of called their bluff. And they end up giving basically giving Elway to the Broncos for nothing. I mean, if you think about a talent like John Elway at the time, they ended up giving up their first round draft choice, which was Chris Hinton and uh, quarterback um, Herman. I uh, can't remember his first name for some reason. And like a, a couple of draft picks, but it was nothing big. Like today, I mean, that kind of trade would be like three first round draft choices, two, you know, three second round draft choices and all this stuff. They got them for nothing. And, and the, the uh, only the thing other... you can almost compare in modern times is maybe like Eli Manning. Right, similar situation with the Chargers. Yeah, didn't want to play. yeah. It, it was like that, uh, but they ended up giving him away for a lot cheaper than than what they even got Eli Manning for. But the funny thing was, is the the Raiders actually John Elway almost became a, an an Oakland Raider, or L.A. Raider at the time because uh, Al Davis had set up this deal to get to get him, and it was a pretty lucrative deal. 
but uh, there was some bad blood between uh, the commissioner and Al Davis from the AFL days. So he nixed it and uh, it kind of put uh, it, it forced Indianapolis's hand at the, at the end to just kind of get rid of him to the Broncos. And, and then we witnessed a, you know, a, a run of incredible success uh, because of that trade. And I know, I know people like to, you know, crap on John Elway, so to speak, for his early days because he, you know, he he struggled to be a great quarterback statistically, but you know, he was he was uh carrying those teams to the Super Bowl. I looked at uh, a lot of the quarterbacks um from back then, all the the big name quarterbacks like Fouts, Montana, Marino, even, you know, even looked at um, you know, Randall Cunningham and even some of the kind of tiered couple tiers down quarterbacks. John Elway was the only one that didn't have much help on offense. He had, I think if I remember correctly, he had two times there was a, a running back in the top 10, two times he had a wide receiver in the top 10, no Hall of Famers, no all pros from that offense, like maybe five pro bowlers. It was incredible what he was able to do, Th- you know, go to three Super Bowls with that that offense and those players around him. Uh, so you got to give him a lot of credit for being a winner and, you know, really carrying that team. Now defense, the defense had some good players. Don't get me wrong. They had, a, they had some really good defensive players, but the offense was not uh, anything like these other quarterbacks had to work with back then. Yeah. I think the first time that I watched John Elway was the, the, the Stanford band game. And I yep. didn't watch it because <laughs> nobody knew that that was going to happen at the end. I just watched it to play, you know, some good football and it, it was a great game. You know, LA had a, had a pretty spectacular game. I, they played the uh, cow, I believe. Right. Is that who, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was just a, just a back and forth game. And I don't get to watch that many West coast games living in, in the East, but that was one that I watched and enjoyed. And at the end, I was just this craziness. So I sort of knew his name and then I, I you know, all the hype and everything that happened in the off season and the draft and the trade and everything, uh, and you know, his holdout and you know, that was all big news, but I believe his first game was against the Steelers and I can, yes. against the, the steel curtain. And, you know, I remember watching that game to open the season and, you know, this, this <laughs> young brash quarterback, you know, play, play, I mean, he, I don't think he had a very good game, uh, but oh, he got hurt. Yeah. He, he got injured in, in that, uh, but, uh, but that's that's a fir- sort of the first couple run-ins I can remember, and you know all the way up, uh, you know, to some of these games that you probably want to talk about these yeah. games against Cleveland, which were <laughs> tremendous and uh, yeah, enjoyable. The, I, I, the funny thing about that first game, though, and you, you go back and check it out, uh, Steve DeBerg had to come in for him because he he got injured and they pulled him out of the game. It wasn't be, having a great game to begin with, but Steve DeBerg had injured his throat in preseason. So he actually strapped a speaker on his back and had a microphone and it was an amplifier microphone and a speaker on, on his back so that he could talk and call lines and call plays in the huddle, make the line calls and stuff. So he's like, he looked like the hunchback of Notre Dame with this big thing on his back. He'd done it once before in the 49ers. I don't think they'd allow it today, that type of equipment, but yeah, he came in with a big speaker on his back. It's, it's a pretty funny uh, pretty funny thing to see if you watch those old games. You see him you I, watch that I old game. I wasn't aware of that. Now I'm going to have to go back and uh, yeah. try to watch some of the, these uh, things. So, so that was in that Steelers game. He wore that. Yeah, the very first oh. game, always very first game. That's what happened because he, yeah, he, he couldn't talk much over a whisper, so he had to come in and play, and they amplified his voice so he could do it. It was pretty interesting. 
Okay. So that might be the, maybe the second time of having uh, electronic devices and quarterback. Cause we know Otto Graham had it with the Browns and Paul Brown. They had the headset in there and got yep. caught and against Detroit, yeah. and, but the, I, I wasn't aware of that one. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That was a funny one too. In fact, my, my wife is related to Gene Filipski. So back then, remember when the whole, he, the whole story about the first, uh, first, um, microphone and the helmet and the earpiece mm-hmm. they actually figured out the uh the frequency they were able to get the frequency and gene Filipski was uh was with the browns in the preseason and uh then went to the giants and he basically was intercepting all of their calls the first half so he <laughs> he knew the plays and they were intercepted they had to stop doing that uh, they had to stop using the microphone in the second half because they were stealing all of their plays but the, uh, I don't know if you ever heard this story when they were developing it for Paul Brown is sort of, you know, sort of secretive. They had two inventor engineer type guys and you're testing it. And the one guy put the helmet on, he like walked out into the woods and the other guys back at the home base, you know, seeing how far they could transmit and everything, but it ended up getting picked up by a police band <laughs> and they, the, he, the guy comes out of the woods on the other side of the road and uh, the police are there to pick on, Hey, you know, what the heck are you doing here? Why are you wearing yeah. this helmet? And so it's kind of an interesting story there. I probably missed some things there, but that uh, kind of, kind of a cool thing, but yeah, I, I didn't realize the Berg wore, wore that uh, in an NFL game in the seventies. Wow. Yeah. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a mic to talk to the coach. It was just to amplify, amplify his voice in order to uh, for the players to hear him at the line or in the huddle. Cause he, he injured his throat. So it was, it was interesting, but yeah, they wouldn't allow that today. Yeah. Pro- probably not. Probably not. But you know, Elway just, you know, transformed and he got through that first season, you know, some, sometimes either quarterbacks, you know, they, they get in that first season, they just become so gun shy and just ruins their careers, you know, all, uh, you know, Ryan leaf and Tim couch type careers, or you have other ones, you know, like Peyton Manning or Elway that, you know, they just, they take their beating and they come back stronger the next year and the next year and become superstars. And uh, I think that's definitely what happened with Elway. Yeah. Well, you know, and he played his entire career on uh, only one ACL too. So he did, he, he tore his ACL in high school and he didn't have an ACL in one of his knees all the way through his career, college and professional. So he was, you know, he, he wasn't afraid of, uh, of taking a beating and uh, yeah, you're right. He, you know, those, that first year he, it was rough for him. Uh, but then, you know, in, in 86, he got him to that uh, first Super Bowl again with the offense that was not very, you know, very talented, uh, you know, be in fact, you would I could you could probably say that that Cleveland Browns team was probably more talented. But Elway with the drive got him over the hump, got him to the Super Bowl and then, you know, beat him three times in the in the playoffs to get to those Super Bowls. So the Cleveland Browns definitely uh, definitely have a. Uh, anger probably for John Elway, but yeah, he, yeah. he sort of, he sort of ruined uh, Marty Schottenheimer's early career, I think. Yeah. And coach. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see, you know, if you look at John Elway's career from 83 to, you know, the early nineties, you know, he, he struggled statistically, so to speak, but he was always there as a winner, right? He so many come back, come from behind victories, you know, fourth quarter game winning drives, things like that. And, you know, people always would, would give uh, Dan Reeves, you know, would, would belittle Dan Reeves for, um, 
you know, not unleashing Elway to his full potential. But, you know, that was Dan Reeves' uh, offensive style. He came from a different style of football, but he was a great coach. Don't, I mean, I, I will never belittle Dan Reeves. He had a great eye for coaching talent. So many uh, coaches came up through his his ranks that end up going on and becoming successful head coaches or successful coaches in the, in the league. Obviously Mike Shanahan being one of them, you know, coming from that uh, Jim Lee Howell tree from Tom Landry that he learned how to lead and be a good leader. So he's a great coach. He didn't have a lot to work with. You know, he never really found that stud running back that uh, could carry the load that he wanted, but you know uh, he still got John Elway and that team to three Super Bowls. Unfortunately, uh, they lost them, but it really wasn't until 93 when Jim Fassel came on board that John Elway became a better quarterback overall. And he brought in the West Coast offense that was then, you know, Mike Shanahan came in and continued that. But Jim Fassel learned um, under Bill Walsh at Stanford, right, back in the, in the 70s. And uh, when he came in as the offensive coordinator, that's when John Elway had his best he, his 1987 was, you know, a great season for him. He won MVP, but statistically 93 and uh, was his best, really best season passing from a statistical standpoint. And, um, you know, if you ever want to compare uh, quarterbacks from different eras and look at them and, and whatnot, uh, I built a actual tool that you can compare uh, quarterbacks across eras. So I, I looked at the major stats. I looked at the five-year, uh, you know, era you know, between the, each of those seasons, you know, two years before, two years after, and uh, have normalized it so that you can kind of compare uh, quarterbacks across many, many eras. So if you look at 93, it was, it was a great, a great season for Elway. And then he had five of his best seasons uh, after in his later years, after 93, five of his best seasons. So can you imagine if he'd have been in that offense from day one, an offense like that in his prime, what he could have been because all of his, you know, most of his best seasons came uh, as he was an older, per, you know, older player, you know, in his thirties. So yeah, it was Jim Fassel. I credit him for, for really turning Elway into the passer that he could have been. And then of course, Mike Shanahan for that ultimate success. Yeah. I think, I think early on uh, the West coast offense, you know, we, we thought so much of like a Joe Montana, you know, you're you know, a, a sort of more smallish quarterback, maybe not with the the super powerful arm. And then you you know you you wouldn't think of like Elway, uh, you know, having a big strong arm, but you know, pretty good sized guy that be you know, in that kind of an offense. You think you know I would always imagine you know especially early on you think of Elway you know throwing it downfield or you know firing a you know frozen rope across the middle to a tight end and you know yep. breaking the fingers of his uh, receivers yeah. and things like that. But he really thrived in it, and I think it sort of opened the door for those stronger quarterbacks like him, you know Brett Favre to really thrive in that West Coast offense, just like uh, Montana's and uh, others had done. Yeah. And, and that's the difference too. Like, you know, under Dan Reeves, it was run, run. And then, you know, you chuck it deep and that's where you get all these interceptions and you, you know, you don't, you don't put them in an advantageous position, but on the West coast offense, you did, even though he had a, still had a strong arm until the day he retired, he could still, he could still sling it. He, you know, as he, he got a little bit more touch on the ball, a little bit better timing. And it was just a, it was a, a better, that offense is a better fit for quarterbacks in general, but it really helped Elway. Uh, moving forward. And then of course you get a good running game that uh, you know, with Terrell Davis and the zone blocking scheme and the offensive line with Tom Nalen at center, it just that, I mean, those, those teams were, were really hard to beat 
back in the uh, late nineties for yeah, sure. Yeah, they were a machine. That's for sure. Now I'm, I'm you know, ever since you said that, you know, Elway not missing an ACL, I have this vision of Elway with the, the dive where he gets helicoptered. Yep. Uh, and I'm sitting there thinking, God, this guy had one ACL and he's, you know, old man, mid 30 ish at the time and yep. trying to dive over a pile and just getting, you know, a DB or whoever came up and just, you know, sp spins him around, but he got the first down, I believe on that play yep. to, to do that. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. And that's Maybe. the play that everybody, that every Broncos fan points to that watches like they, they knew that was when they were going to win. Right. They knew it's like, there's no way they're going to lose Elway's, you know, sacrificing his body to, uh, to, to win this game. And, and, you know, it really was, it was a point in the game where they needed that first down and he got it. And, uh, yeah, you really they had more confidence after that. I still, after seeing all those other losses, I I wanted to wait till that that final bell and they were ahead before I was like celebrating and everything on that first game. But uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a turning point and and it's one of the most you know one of the most iconic plays in Denver Broncos history, really uh, that helicopter. But yeah, he had had one ACL when he did it. <laughs> now he had a very similar play. I can remember it was a game at Mile High. The Steelers and the Broncos, I believe it was an AFC championship game. Bobby Brister, Merrill Hodge come in with the Steelers. Uh, you know, Hodge is going crazy. They're they have a real good running game going. And they're they're I mean, they're Broncos were heavy favorites in the game. Yep. Steelers gave them all they could handle at the end. And I think it came down to a similar play like that where you know they it was a third and four or fourth and four or something like that and they had to get a first down to to run the clock out or get in a field goal range and Elway ran a, ran another ball and got you know got pummeled but he got the first down and you know sort of sealed the game for for Denver to to move on so and I, I think that was that was the season they didn't allow a hundred yard rusher all year and then Merrill Hodge got over a hundred yards that game if I remember correctly it was kind of I just remember that being uh a sore spot like and i don't think hodge had a hundred yard game until that game. You know, that's the other thing <laughs> probably but, a, but it was an amazing it was a it was a fun game to watch you know it was, i was sad a little bit sad for me and others sure. in northwest pennsylvania or western pennsylvania but uh good game all the all around but you know then you get to you know those years where they they play uh you know two years in a row win the Super Bowl. Elway goes out on top. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better story for all the, the disappointments of Super Bowl losses that, that he had experienced and Denver fans had gone through. Uh, yep. how, how was that as a Denver fan to to finally get to that epic moments? Yeah, I mean, it was great. Uh, so for me, obviously, you know, seeing the three kind of, uh, they were miserable losses. I mean, 55 to 10 against the 49ers, that second quarter against the Washington Redskins. I mean, it was... I still actually, I still actually believe that the Broncos should have won that first Super Bowl '86 against the Giants. If you watch that first half, they they were uh, first and one at the you know first and goal at the one yard line, couldn't punch it in. Then Rich Carlos misses a field goal. Steve Watson's all alone in the end zone, uh, nobody around him. Sure touchdown. Elway misses him, throws it to somebody else. Uh, then the bad call with the, uh, you know, with Clarence K, the first instant replay uh, kind of foray for NFL and instant replay. They botched that call. That, that game should have been at least 24 to seven going into halftime and they blew it. And then they ended up coming, you know, the Giants came out and, you know, had their game plan and ended up beating them pretty soundly. But that was the, that was the one Super Bowl they should have won before they they won the one in 98. So and 97, I guess I should say. Uh, but yeah. 
those were those were tough. And going watching him go out top was was pretty cool. Uh, and then and then the next season, it all kind of came crashing down. You had Brian Greasy beat out Bubby Brister uh, for the starting uh, starting job, which was strange. And Bubby Brister, I think he just kind of thought he had the job and didn't put in a lot of effort. And Bubby Brister just outplayed him. And uh, then, you know, throws the interception where Terrell Davis gets his his knee uh, blown out. And uh, they end up, you know, having like four wins that season and had to kind of crawl back into uh, relevancy again, which was a, it was a bummer uh, to see that. So it was it was a really high high. And then all of a sudden it's like all came crashing back down. So it was it was it was a rough couple seasons. Yeah, I'll bet. But then you had, you know, what you have probably about 10 years later is when Elway is in charge of the team yep. makes that that great move to get another quarterback that's uh iconic already coming into the, the mile high city and sure. Peyton Manning. So how, how was that to experience as a fan? Um, it was, it was interesting for me, right? So number one, it was, it, you know, Josh McDaniels came in as a coach and just destroyed that team. So that it was a pretty, pretty rough go there. Then you had the Tebow magic, right? Uh, you know, that old. T- I was Tim hoping Tebow. you weren't going to bring that that up, that playoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, so then, you know, you, you, you didn't know what to think, right? As a Broncos fan, you didn't know what to think. Pete Manning had hurt his neck. You didn't, nobody knew if he was going to be able to throw the ball again uh, very well. So there was a lot of kind of, um, for me anyway, uh, doubt into whether or not this was going to work out. And I had watched Peyton Manning, you know, in the playoffs. He, uh, you know, he's typically wasn't very, really great in the regular season, got the playoffs and wasn't very good typically. I mean, they did win, you know, they they won the Super Bowl in 2006 and everything. But for the most part, he he didn't have a great playoff record. So there was a little bit of doubt. And in my mind, and I'm sure there was doubt in other under other uh, fans' mind, but that that move was incredible i mean it it turned around the franchise i mean they went to two super bowls in just a few years so and end up winning one when when peyton manning was was really done done but uh yeah it was a turning point in the franchise yeah and that was another one i think uh peyton manning's debut was against the steelers debut as a as a bronco it's against the steelers yeah. and yeah, that was the game that you know everybody said okay Steelers you know pretty good defense Manning's you know he it's old man Manning he's <laughs> bad neck you know Colts didn't want him and uh yep. he came out and just peppered the, the Steelers I don't think they know what happened to him but uh you know great that was a great team and it, they Denver had a really good defense too that year that was an amazing yeah team. yeah they they actually built a pretty good team that year um you know it was, uh, you know, unfortunate that that ended the way it did in 2012 with Joe Flacco. You know that whole, uh, you know, hail mary, and it was it was rough. But they that was a that was one of the better teams that the Broncos have ever had. I mean, you go back and you look at a few of the teams. You know, 1998 is obviously the best Broncos team. 97 also up there, but that 2012 team, like you said, had a really good defense. Had you know. Um, and uh, their offense was was formidable, right? So they could have went on to win the whole thing had they not had they not blown it in that uh, first playoff game. Uh, that was that, they were they were stacked and ready to to win it all. And uh, unfortunately, they they got bumped in the playoffs. Yeah, that's that uh, kind of an amazing collapse there that you you wouldn't expect from the way they played during the season. Now, okay, the, you recently 
you had another star quarterback, another Super Bowl winning quarterback come in. And it almost seemed like a deja vu that maybe you know, this is a magical time. And, you know, first season wasn't too good. So you bring in a Super Bowl winning coach to go with them. Yeah. And just it wasn't a good marriage. What happened with the, the whole uh, Russell Wilson and Sean? Payton yeah. And, and the team, what, what happened with them? Yeah, I was on board too. Like I thought this was I thought this was going to be the missing uh, missing piece bringing in Russell Wilson. Most fans were like pretty excited about it. I, I well, for one, Nathaniel Hackett was not a very good coach. He was not a very good head coach. Um he, you know, there was a lot of things that he did that probably wasn't good for the team and wasn't good for Russell Wilson, you know, you know, the there was a lot of uh turmoil and I know people said that they the, you know, players said that they liked Nathaniel Hackett, but he just, he wasn't a very good coach. So that was the big, the first thing, the offense that they put together did not fit Russell Wilson at all. And Russell Wilson had his hand in it too. Don't get me wrong. He wanted, he wanted it to kind of, you know, be that pocket passer and everything it wasn't the right, right offense. So then they went out and got, uh, gone Sean Payton. And I actually thought Sean Payton would help Russell Wilson a lot. I thought that his, he would, he would style a D, an offense that fit Russell Wilson because he had an offense that fit Drew Brees. Drew Brees was a pretty good quarterback. He wasn't great. That offense fit him to a T. And that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, that was, you know, that was an, a tremendous marriage. And I thought, okay, Sean Payton's got this mind to come in and, and tweak tweak an offense so that Russell Wilson can can play in it. And it just didn't happen. I mean, he did a little bit, but it still, it still didn't fit Russell Wilson. He wasn't willing to kind of go all the way and change his offense completely to, to fit Russell Wilson. He did, did some, but it just wasn't a good match. And I mean, it brought people are trying to give credit to Sean Payton for resurrecting, you know, Russell Wilson's career uh, from the debacle, but he really got him back to about where he was. I mean, he, he wasn't, you know, any, he, he wasn't as good as he was in Seattle, um, he had, his season really was kind of comparable to some of the years in Seattle, but it really wasn't a good match, uh, between the two, uh, Sean Payton needs somebody that's a different style of quarterback and it just didn't work out. And it's unfortunate too, because it really set the team back a lot. You know, they've traded a lot to get Russell Wilson. They traded a lot to get Sean Payton and now they're going to suffer the consequences, both in the draft and in the salary cap. They're, they're right. They're, uh, over the cap by quite a bit. And if they actually do uh, what everybody thinks they're going to do, which is release Russell Wilson, they're going to do a June, June 1st, uh, post June 1st cut probably and spread that over two years, but they're going to be about 60 million over the cap. So they're going to, hmm. they're going to have a season next year where they have a lot of young guys, inexperienced guys playing or, or older vets playing to fill in some of the, uh, some of the spots until they can get that uh, salary cap situation under control well the good news is about it is that sean payton is uh used to adversity on his teams and has brought his teams out of the fire before so yeah uh, so maybe there's some success there and it seemed like they they really caught wind that that miami game it seemed like the end of the world for him and it was going to be a horrible season but really they came back and and really uh made a playoff run you know almost they almost got there that was uh, pretty exciting to watch at the end they did. And in fact, I thought they were going to do it. You know, once they beat the Chiefs and then they went on the road and beat the Bills, I was like, this they're gonna they're gonna pretty much run the table and get back into the and get into the playoffs. And uh they lost to Houston, which was a bit of a blow to them. 
And, but, and then they, I don't know what happened. They, they just folded up shop against the Patriots and that was it. And then I was like, okay, this team's done. They don't, they're, they're not, they're not going to go to the playoffs. They lost the Patriots. In fact, it really put some uh, doubt in my mind that Sean Payton could really get this team to, to over the hump at that point, like that, that loss to the Patriots was pretty rough. Um, and then, you know, they, they finished the season kind of uh, on a, on a downward turn. And, uh, you know, they, they couldn't break the streak that they, the losing streak they had against the Raiders, unfortunately. And yeah, it was just, uh, it was not a good way to end the season. It was not a good way to end, you know, kind of Russell Wilson, that whole trade. It was just, it's all, you know, you know it casts a lot of doubt in my mind, uh, going forward, but hopefully, uh, Sean Payton can, you know, rally this team and, and make it, uh, make it a team that's, uh, competing for, you know, for the playoffs and for a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's uh, if anybody can do it, I think he can. So, of course, you got you got a pretty good quarterback in Kansas City that's uh, probably going to be there for a lot longer, and a coach that maybe be there for a handful of years too. So, yeah, have to contend with. So it's a tough division to be in, that's for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, Thomas, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your, your podcasts and where where folks can find them at and, and give them a listen to. Yeah. Yeah. They're all on uh, mile high huddle, uh, YouTube. So, uh, there's mile high huddle is, a uh, you know, Broncos, uh, news outlet. Uh, we do I write articles for them, but I uh, legends of mile high. It has a lot of history. I mean, I'll, I'll do, I do news and stuff like that too. If you know, things break, but I'll, you know, if you go back and listen to them, I'd tell a lot of, uh, old, older stories about the Broncos so people can kind of learn. So that's on Friday morning. It's live at 7 a.m. And then I have a Wednesday night show at 6 p.m. These are mountain time. Sorry. So mountain time uh, called uh, My High Insiders with Luke Patterson. And that's more of a, you know, uh, current events type podcast. And it's live as well. So uh, you can join into the YouTube chat or you can join on Facebook, do that chat. You can uh, ask questions as we go along and uh, hopefully have them answered if uh, there's a lot of, a lot of chat that goes on. So not all of them get answered, but um, yeah, if you want to check it out, if you're a Broncos fan, uh, jump on there and, uh, and uh, interact with us live. Well, Thomas, we really appreciate you coming on here. Give us some insight on the Broncos history and even some current events and uh, the ups and downs of, of following the team. And I guess one last question before I let you go. Now, you, you know, we talked uh, about mile high stadium, is it actually a mile high above uh, sea level? Yeah, I mean the the Denver's uh, five thousand two hundred eighty feet, so that's why they, uh, they it's a mile high above sea level. They call it uh, Mile High Stadium, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of mile high magic. It, it, it was a shame that they tore it down. And this new stadium is beautiful. Don't get me wrong; it was great, but uh, there's something about Mile High that uh, you can't replace. Okay. Well, Thomas, we thank you for, for coming on here and uh, folks, make sure you get out there, listen uh, to, to Thomas's programs and uh, you know, well, make, make sure that if you have any future projects coming up, you want to come on and talk about or some events uh, you're always welcome here in the pig pen. And we, we thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. 
Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.